Well, hey there. Welcome to the Strong and Sculpted Podcast, the podcast by me, Kim Constable, also known as the Sculpted Vegan, about all things strong and, of course, all things sculpted. So what I'm going to talk about today, girls and guys, I'm going to talk about menopause. Yes, the dreaded menopause that all of us females go through at some point in our lives, some of us earlier than others, some of us later, some of us with more symptoms, some of us with less. But today we're specifically going to talk about menopause and how it affects your muscles, how it affects your fat stores, why you get the belly and the middle-aged spread, and of course, what you can do about it. But before we dive deep into all things menopause, uh, I want to remind you that the giveaway is done every single month for uh, to one lucky listener of the Strongest Sculpted podcast who leaves a review wherever you listen to the podcast. So in order to win one of our programs, the um, which can be the 18-month Sculpt and Shred program, if you so choose, which is 1,500 smackaroos, uh, all you need to do is leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast, take a screenshot and send it to me. And on Instagram, uh, which is the Sculpted Vegan, and then you could be in with a chance of winning. And this month's winner is, let me just tell you who it is, because Courtney has just announced it on Instagram. Let me look up and see. This month's winner is Lauren Alexandra. Lauren Alexandra, congratulations. You are the winner of a, I see you've chosen the 18-month Sculpt and Shred program because we've already contacted you on Instagram. So congratulations, Lauren. Uh, the Sculpt and Shred program is yours. And thank you so much for your lovely review. So if you want to be in with the chance of winning a Sculpted Vegan program, simply leave a review wherever you listen, take a screenshot, send it to me, and we will choose the winner of July at the start of August. Okay, so let's dive into all things menopause. Now, I get so many questions about menopause, both on Instagram and in the Facebook groups. And I've always resisted talking about menopause, to be honest, simply because I have not yet gone through menopause. Lucky me. I am only 41. And I I know some people do go through early menopause. I actually have a friend who I think is only 44. And she has already gone through menopause. Both her mom and her sister went through early menopause. So I think when you go through menopause really is hereditary. Um, I don't think that there's any, you know, secret to holding it off or making it come sooner or getting through it any better. Like I said, I haven't actually been through menopause yet, so I don't have any direct experience of it. And this is partly the reason why I've never spoken about menopause before, because I don't have any direct experience with it. And it's not something that I have been driven to problem solve. Many of the things that I talk about here in the podcast, many of the solutions that I have come up with in my business, um, which is why we're so successful, have basically been things that I have had to solve. So problems that I have had that I have had to solve myself that then once I have solved, I have talked to other people. And so loads of people would write to me and they would say, Kim, what do you what is your advice about menopause? Kim, what do you, you know, think I should do? I'm perimenopausal, which means you're, you know, you're approaching menopause, or I'm menopausal, which means that, you know, you have actually, you know, gone through menopause, uh, people would ask my advice and I would be always honest and say, I'm really sorry, but I don't know. You know, I don't know the answer to your question. I don't I don't know because I hadn't done any research on it. And then people used to say to me, when are you going to develop a program for menopausal women? And I used to say, well, you know, probably whenever I go through menopause, <laughs> that is probably when I am going to develop some kind of program because, you know, I will actually have a lot more information on it, a lot more data, and I'll be able to, you know, bring a much richer experience to those that I am teaching. However, I get so many requests, like I said, to talk about menopause and to really break down and discuss what happens during menopause that I really wanted to make this podcast today. And even if you are not going through menopause, if you're not menopausal in any way, say you're like you're like 29 listening to this, I'm flattered if you are, by the way, but if you, um, it, it's not really going to be about menopause. You know, my podcast, if you listen to them regularly, you will know that my podcasts are never really about what they're about, if you know what I mean. They're always about some real, you know, much deeper life issue. So that, of course, is going to be the case today. So even if you're a guy listening to this or you're a young female and you're way off menopause, you know, still hang in there because you may learn something which isn't to do with menopause, which may actually help you in your life. So Today, we're going to talk about, you know, the thing I have not been through, but I I realized recently that, you know, you don't have to have a vagina 
to be a gynecologist. <laughs> Many gynecologists are men. They do not have a vagina and they have never experienced having a vagina. But yet they are highly paid gynecologists. So I decided, well, if a gynecologist can be a gynecologist with a specialized in vaginas without actually having one, I can specialize in menopause without actually having gone through it. So that is my rationing today for why I'm going to teach you about menopause. So first of all, let, let me tell you a quick story, okay, about um, about an experience that I had. So whenever I was whenever I was younger, I I remember I came back from riding horses in England. Now I whenever I was in school, I was a wee bit I was a wee bit chubbier, not chubbier. I was like a size a UK size twelve, and then I went away to work in France and spent the whole time smoking dope and <laughs> eating pizza and ice cream and chocolate, and I came back a size fourteen. So I put on so much weight whenever I was away, and then. I was, you know, slightly chubbier in high school. But then, you know, after high school, I started, once I went into university, I started riding, you know, I always rode horses competitively, but I started riding to a very high level. And I went from being kind of a UK size 14 right down to a UK size six, okay? So I was like really, really, really lean, really lean and really muscular um, because, you know, I was just doing so much exercise with the horses. And so I never, ever, ever had to watch my weight. I could always eat whatever I wanted because my output every day was so enormous that it didn't honestly matter what the input was because I never put on any weight whatsoever. And in fact, I needed all the extra calories to sustain the amount of exercise that I was doing. So then whenever I went away to work in England for a show jumper, I was working hard, but I actually, it was, I was miserable because he was the nastiest bastard you'll ever meet in your life. He was absolutely horrendous to work for. He treated his horses terribly and he treated his staff terribly. And even though I was a working rider and a groom for him, um, I started to comfort eat because I was so miserable and I ate and ate and ate and ate and ate. And so I put on like not a lot of weight. I went from a size six when I was over there and I'm five foot eight, so size six is tiny, right? I was an eight, size eight, size six. Um, and I, whenever I came home, I had probably worked my way up to about a size 10, probably verging on 12. Okay. So I, I had really, you know, done a lot of comfort eating and because I was so miserable. And so whenever I came home, I was like, I want to lose the body fat. Right. And I'd always had an interest in muscles. I'd always wanted to be muscly when I was younger. Um, and so I went to our local gym, which is quite a big gym. It was a virgin active gym at the time. And I found a personal trainer there who actually I knew because he was my ex-boyfriend's cousin. Now, he was a professional powerlifter, okay? He won competitions all over the world. I didn't really know what powerlifters did. I just knew that they were, you know, they could deadlift a lot, they could squat a lot, and they could uh, bench a lot, right? So I went to work out with him and he had me, so he started training me about three times a week and he trained me like a power lifter. So he had me doing a lot of reverse grip, reverse grip lap pull downs. He had me doing um, loads of squats. He had me doing loads of strength exercises, loads of hamstring exercises and, you know, loads of glute exercises. Now, at the time I was 22, 23, I think it was about 23. So I was basically a muscle making fat burning machine. Okay. And within, I would say, about six months of training with Jamie, my body transformed. But the problem is I started to look like a power lifter. So he had me eating like a huge amount of protein. I wasn't a vegan then or even vegetarian. So I was eating millions of animal protein and taking loads and loads of scoops of whey protein. And um, really not a very healthy diet at all, to be honest. But uh, anyway, so I, my body started to transform because of how I changed my diet, because of how I was um, lifting it. But I did start to look like a power lifter. Like I started to look really, really, really muscular, but not like the way I look now, you know, not like a body sculpting muscular, just really, you know, bulky muscular. But one of the great things about that time was my glutes and hamstrings completely transformed. My butt was the best that it has ever been in my entire life. I had such a high, tight, muscular set of cheeks you wouldn't even believe it. And I started looking at my butt in the mirror and my legs and they were so muscular because I'd been so lean. Don't get me wrong. You know, my, for most of my kind of, you know, from my left school when I was 18, right up to I was 23, um, I had been really, really, really lean. And so just to watch my body transform was unbelievable. And I remember once um, I was in a bikini, we were at a friend's house down in Dublin and they had a pool, right? Uh, I had a pool out the back and it was summer. And I remember putting on my bikini at the time and, you know, and coming out in my bikini and I remember one of the guys there saying to me, holy crap, look at your ass. And I was like, oh, 
really? Like in a good way? And he was like, shit, it is so muscular. And I will never forget it because, you know, I've always hated my bum. It's always been something that I've never, ever, ever liked. I don't know why I have such such an obsession with not liking it, but I've never, ever liked it. And so, of course, this to me was like the ultimate compliment. You know, a guy who I actually fancied at the time as well said to me, you know, oh my God, look at your ass. Like he noticed how muscular it was. And so that was kind of the pinnacle of when I was really muscular and really toned and, you know, and, and loved my body. Now, shortly after that, I met Ryan when I was 25. And so, you know, shortly after that, I, I don't remember, I didn't really keep my gains. I only really, you know, was training with Jamie for about a year. And then I, I kind of, my training fell by the wayside again and I stopped training quite so hard. But I always remember that as the time when I had the best glutes and the best um, hamstrings, you know, that I've ever had in my life. So fast forward a couple of years, met Ryan when I was 25, got pregnant, had Corey when I was 26, and then had, you know, four other children in pretty quick succession and became a full-time stay-at-home mom. Now, of course, as a full-time stay-at-home mom of four kids under the age of six, I had no time to go to the gym. I had no time to do anything. And so I, um, I obviously didn't go to the gym, didn't train, um, did, wasn't very active, but it was always quite lean because I never was, you know, an overeater. And I would have, you know, done a lot of Pilates at home and I would have then, I, I got into yoga and I started teaching a lot of yoga. So fast forward to whenever I was 36, and I'm all of you, many of you who've listened to this or who follow me know the story of me catching sight of my glutes in the mirror. I'm not going to tell that one again. But, you know, I, I never, again, I went back to not liking my bum anymore. And then whenever I was 36, caught sight of my glutes, if you don't know the story, caught sight of my glutes in the mirror, um, wearing a thong, and the light was streaming in on my butt, and I was horrified by what I saw. Because it, not only was it not big anymore or muscular, it was really skinny, really small, and all the skin had started to sag. So I had this epiphany that the only way I could change my butt was to fill it up with muscle, right? Fill it up with muscle and stretch all that skin out. And then I wouldn't have a sad, saggy old woman's butt. So I downloaded a program, 36 years of age, downloaded a program, went to the gym the very next day, program in hand, which was all about building the glutes. And I started to work. So I was really excited. Once I got back into the gym, I was like, yes, the gym is my happy place. I remember this when I trained with Jamie, the powerlifter, and, and I really loved the gym. And hence, you know, of course not. It's my, my, my life. It's my profession. But I really started to get back into it. And I started to do this glute training program. And I assumed that within kind of, you know, four to six months, you know, because my glutes really started to transform with Jamie, like massively, massively quickly. My So I assumed that within four to six months that my glutes would look like what they looked like whenever, you know, I was 23 and I was training with Jamie. And I kept looking in the mirror and waiting and looking in the mirror and waiting and looking in the mirror and waiting. And it they didn't transform. I mean, they were changing slowly, but they weren't changing in the way they had changed years ago whenever I was 23. And I was really like, like, so what's going on here? Like, why am I not getting the same results that I, I was getting whenever I was younger? And so I worked harder and I worked harder and I was glute bridging and I was squatting and I was doing all of these different things. And still my glutes were not transforming at the same rate. And I was really um, I, I was dis I was I wasn't even that I was disheartened or disappointed. I was kind of confused. I was like, what was it that I used to do? with Jamie that caused my glutes to grow so big. Now, one thing I didn't consider, which actually I only thought of this second, is that, well, one of the main differences is I was training with a trainer, okay? So I was training with a trainer. So he was able to push me harder than probably I was pushing myself in the beginning when I started training. And he was able to do very, very focused exercises for glutes and hamstrings, you know, with a lot of weights that I probably wasn't able to do by myself. So I hadn't considered that before. But also, you know, I, I still was working very, very, very hard, like very hard doing very glute specific exercises, you know, every single day. But yet, I, you know, my progress, I was making progress, but I wasn't making as fast progress as I had made whenever I was 23 and I was working with Jamie. So, so let me ask you a question. Like, so why not? Okay. Why was I not making this, the progress that I had made when I was 23? Was it because I wasn't working hard enough? Was it because I was not doing, you know, the same exercises? Was it because I was eating differently? Or like, it, it wasn't like I was still, you know, well, actually, I wasn't eating quite so much as I had been eating with Jamie, but I was eating, you know, a lot of food and I was doing a lot of training and I was doing everything right, but yet my glutes weren't growing at the same rate they had been. So what I realized whenever I was diving into the research for this episode and this, that's why it reminded me of this story is because I realized, well, shortly afterwards, and I've, I've had a lot more scientific data to add to it now, is because I was 15 years older, 
than I had been the last time I had trained my glutes and my body had burst four babies, I, I had lost a lot of the ability, not a lot, but I had lost a significant, um, ad- the significant advantage you have when you're in your 20s with the speed at which your metabolism naturally moves and also your body's ability to build muscle. Because one of the most striking effects of age is actually the involuntary loss of muscle mass, of strength, and function. And this is actually called, there's a scientific term, uh, it's sarcopenia, it's called. So or sarcopenia, some people call it or sarcopenia. Um, muscle mass, so here's the interesting thing, right? Muscle mass decreases approximately 3 to 8% per decade, right? And is this, and is very significant after the age of 30. So whenever you are, you know, when you're, whenever you're between the age of 10 and 20, your body can build a huge amount of muscle, right? Between the age of 20 and 30, you are a muscle building machine. You are in your prime muscle building territory. That's why you see all of these bikini athletes, you know, in their 20s, teetering around on little high heels with the highest, tightest glutes you've ever seen in your entire life, right? Your ability to build muscle and burn fat decreases in tr- tremendously, especially after the age of 30, right? And this rate of decline is even higher once you reach the age of about 50 or 60. So this involuntary loss of muscle mass and, and of course of strength and function is a fundamental cause and contributor to disability in older people. So that's why people who are over the age of 60 or 70 or 80, that's why they get more and more and more decrepit or disabled or not able to move simply because their muscle mass does decline naturally. And a decrease in muscle mass is also accompanied by um, a progressive increase in fat mass, right? So the your body composition usually stays the same, but you know, which means that you remain around about the same weight, the same height, the same everything else. But as your muscle mass decreases, your fat mass increases. Okay, so your whole body composition change. Your whole body composition changes as you get older. So what does this have to do with menopause? Well. Not only do women have to deal with the natural decrease of muscle mass, we also have to deal with menopause because men and women both have a decrease in muscle, but women also have to deal with menopause. Now, what is menopause? Menopause is defined as having no menstrual period for one year. You have been, you're considered to have gone through menopause when you have had no menstrual period for one year. The age you experience it can vary, but it typically occurs in your late 40s or early 50s, right? And menopause can cause many, many changes in your body. And it's because of a decreased production of estrogen and progesterone in your ovaries. That's what actually triggers menopause. And of course, one of the symptoms that we experience during, well, before, during, and after menopause is weight gain. Yes, weight gain. You know that middle-aged spread? You know that belly that you can't get rid of? You know that cellulite around the backs of your thighs? Cellulite is just fat, by the way. All of these problems that women um, experience and that they attribute to menopause, yes, it is true that you know that menopause does decrease your muscle mass and increase your fat mass. And you know, so not only do we have to go through the decrease in muscle mass, we have to go through menopause, which adds a whole level of complexity to it. And of course, then one of the biggest symptoms is weight gain. Um, now, <laughs> but here's the thing, right? You, you, you always know there's a thing with me, don't you? There's always a thing, right? The Most of us, however, are just not at cause in our lives. What does this mean? It means that we are causing agents in our lives, right? And just because menopause causes you to, or just because age causes you to um, either hold more body fat or to um, suffer from muscle loss or muscle atrophy, doesn't mean that you can't do anything about it. You are not a victim of age and you are not a victim of menopause. But unfortunately, many of us don't seem to be aware of this fact. The many of the women who write to me certainly um, have a, a, now when I say they have a victim mentality, I'm not, it's not a blame. It's not, oh, she's such a victim. It's like, no, no, a victim mentality is I don't believe that I um, at cause. I don't believe that I can do anything about this situation. I believe this situation is to blame and I am completely powerless. That is a lot of the 
um, the wording that women use when they write to me, they say, because of menopause, I have this belly or I'm going through menopause and I just can't shift this, right? So they blame menopause for their condition, not realizing very naively that actually they can actually do something about it. And I remember, you know, years ago, well, what age would I have been? I think I was probably about, um, it was just before I met Ryan, actually, I was about 24, 25, I think it was about 25. And I had decided to um, launch a business, right? I'd left the company that I was working for, which actually was our family business. And I had decided to launch this business in Belfast. I had met um, a, a girl at Dublin Horseshoe who I had become very, very, very friendly with. And um, I had gone to stay with her in America and we decided to launch this training business. She was part of this um, training company that, you know, specialized in like, you know, neuro-linguistic programming and, and all different types of you know, goal setting. It was basically a, a goal setting company which used different um, emotional tools to help you overcome the things that stopped you from being successful. And she and I got so excited about this, we decided that we would launch these training programs in Ireland. Now, she was kind of the figurehead of... Um, of this whole operation. Her name is Janet. I actually spoke about her in the last um, podcast that I did. I was telling a story from one of the trainings that we ran. So she was kind of the figurehead and I was the one who um, who was helping her to launch in Belfast, right? So Belfast was really my responsibility. I was kind of learning from her and she was there supporting me. Now, unfortunately for her or for me, because the business had kind of just started getting off the ground, we had run a couple of training programs, they had been successful, we had a lot of interest, you know, I was really working hard and, and um, you know, and, and I was really good at sales and I was always really good at, uh, you know, just putting in the, the hard work and getting a result. And I was really gung-ho about, about building this company and, and running these training programs and then in the middle of all this, I met Ryan and I found out two weeks after meeting Ryan, well, not two weeks, I actually found out uh, about two months after meeting Ryan that I was pregnant. <laughs> so I had met Ryan and within two weeks I was pregnant and um, I found out I was pregnant about eight weeks after that. So probably about 10 weeks in total. I think it was about eight weeks whenever I found out. And it was a total and utter shock to me. Now, here's the thing. Even though I was a real gung-ho kind of career woman and whatever, I was also in complete denial, Okay. I was in complete denial that I was a career woman or that I was, you know, had had the mothering instinct. I used to say to people, oh, I don't even know if I want to have kids. And it was so untrue. I wasn't even being true to myself because actually, you know, all I ever really wanted when I was younger, I just wanted to... Um, for someone to take care of me, right? I just really wanted someone to take care of me. I don't mind admitting it at all because now I'm the bloody caretaker in most people's lives, but um, I just wanted someone to take care of me. And the minute that I found out that I was pregnant, it kind of, it was almost like it opened a whole Pandora's box of emotions that I didn't even know that I had. And, you know, I found out I was pregnant and, and all these emotions came crashing in and I realized that I was absolutely ecstatic to be pregnant, but not only to be pregnant, I had met a man like Ryan and I knew that we wanted to be together forever from the first moment we laid eyes on each other. And, you know, he was, he was overjoyed. I was pregnant. I was overjoyed. I was pregnant. He was like, I just want to take care of you. I don't care if you never go back to work. I will work and take care of our family. And, and it was the most romantic thing I'd ever heard in my entire life. All my inner deficiencies efficiencies were filled. And so, of course, then, whenever this happened, you know, anyone who's been pregnant will know as soon as you become pregnant, especially with your first baby, all of your focus goes to the baby. And all you're thinking about is, you know, looking up babycenter.com and wanting to know, oh, today your baby's the size of a grain of rice and your baby's developing and now it's got arms and legs. And you get these daily or these weekly updates from Baby Center and now your baby's the size of a grape. Now it's the size of an orange. And, you know, when you, and you start, then you get morning sickness and then you're constantly staring at your belly in the mirror and wondering what the baby will be like and wondering what it'll be like when they're older. And you know, what, is it a boy or a girl? And of course, all my focus went away from growing this business and went into being pregnant. Now, my friend Janet, right, she didn't have any kids. She was single. She was a real career girl. She was a little bit older than me, but and she, so she couldn't understand my sudden change of heart. Not, not that I, I, I was very vocal about it, but I think I probably did like, you know, express a couple of times about, you know, talking about pregnancy and how much I loved it. And of course she tried to be supportive, but I guess now looking back, all she could see was this venture that we had started together slipping away, you know, and I was like, can't believe she's just not happy for me. But like, seriously, if I looked at that now, like if you just started up a business and invested all of this, you know, capital and effort, whatever, with your business partner, and then suddenly they find out they were pregnant and, and they stopped, you know, being as enthusiastic about it, of course she'd be a little bit pissed, right? So, but she was, you know, she was very gracious about it and whatever, but, you know, 
obviously this wasn't like the ideal situation. Now, knowing that this wasn't the ideal situation, okay, part of my job was to find new clients for our business. So she would have managed the finances and she would have, you know, helped to run the training programs and that kind of stuff. But, you know, finding the clients in the day-to-day kind of, you know, putting together the training programs was my responsibility. And of course, now that all my attention went into being pregnant, do you think I had any attention whatsoever left over for running the business? No, I did not want to get up in the morning. I was feeling morning sickness most of the time. My body was changing. I didn't fit into any of my, you know, I, like I had always spent a lot of money on clothes. I used to have some really good executive clothes whenever I was a sales rep for the family company. And so, you know, all of these clothes suddenly weren't fitting anymore. And my whole brain had shifted into mommy mode. Now, here's here's the the, the crux of this story, right? I didn't feel that I could be honest with Janet, right? I didn't feel I could be honest with her about the situation. Um, And so I hid my lack of motivation from her. So in the morning, you know, she would message me and she'd be like, hey, you know, how are you doing? You know, what what have you got on today? I'd be like, oh, I've got this meeting and I've got this meeting and I've got, I'm going to meet with this person and this meeting went really well. And 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 I would do this while I was lying in my bed, not going anywhere, right? So it wasn't that I wasn't working at all. Like I was putting in some effort towards, you know, uh, finding people for the training programs and that kind of stuff. But I really had lost a lot of my motivation. And But rather than say to her, I'm really struggling at the minute. I'm really struggling to find motivation. I don't even know if I want to do this company anymore because you know, I, I'm not, I just want to be pregnant and I want to enjoy being pregnant and Ryan wants to take care of me. And, and, you know, no, no, I didn't feel like I could be honest with any of that. So, and I don't really think anyone does at age 25. What I did was I lied. I just lied, plain and simple. I just pretended. And of course I didn't tell myself that I was lying. I pretended that I wasn't lying. I just, I just kind of, you know, stretched the truth a little bit, or I just kind of bent the truth a little bit, or I just, you know, left out certain facts when we were talking with each other. So she was believing that I was out and about and meeting people and running, trying to, you know, get people booked in for these training programs and doing all this work. And really I wasn't, right? I just wasn't being honest with her. So not only was I not being honest with her, I wasn't being honest with myself because what I really should have said was, I just don't want to do it anymore. Now, what the hell does this have to do with menopause? Well, bear with me for a minute or two, okay? Here's the problem with with most human beings in the world. I'm going to make a grand sweeping statement, but here is the problem with most human beings. Most human beings are just not at cause. Now, what does it mean to be at cause? It means that you recognize that you are a causing agent in your life. You recognize that every choice you have made has put you where you are today. It realize, it, it means that you recognize not only the good things in your life that you have caused, because like, we're, we're really happy to take responsibility for the achievements in our life or the times when we've done something brilliant or we've done something, you know, to help someone else or we've given money to charity or some of those things. Like then we want to be at cause or then we want to be, you know, responsible for things that are good, but we rarely want to be responsible for the things in our life that are bad. And this is kind of bad programming left over from childhood because in childhood, we were kind of blamed and punished by our parents and our teachers whenever we did something that they didn't like, okay? So we were we we're actually taught as children not to be honest. Have you ever told your child to apologize to another child? Have you ever been like, that's not nice. Apologize to Johnny, right? Do you know what you're doing when you, when you force your child to apologize? You're teaching them to lie. You're basically saying, lie to Johnny. Because do you think that child feels sorry in that moment? You know, whenever they go, no, I will not apologize. And you're like, you apologize to Johnny right now, or you will you will go to your room, or you will go to the naughty step. So the person goes, sorry, Johnny. You know, and so basically what you're saying is, I am having such an emotional reaction to you right now. I need you to lie to Johnny so I will feel okay. Have you any idea how fucked up this is? right? This is why as adults, whenever we're put in a situation where I'm working with my friend Janet and I really look up to her and respect her and I think she's amazing, that I can't be honest with her because I don't want to be honest in case she has an emotional reaction. So basically that's what your parents teach you. In order to stop my anger and stop my emotional reaction, you must lie. So we grow up going, 
oh, best not be honest with Janet in case she gets angry. This is what we teach our kids when we force them to lie. This is what we teach them when we're angry with them. When you punish a child using anger, you are using anger to emotionally um, emotionally punish the child so that the child will not do the thing you don't want it to do for fear of making you angry. You hope that your anger will hurt them emotionally enough to stop the behavior. So basically, you teach your children to lie. Anger makes children liars, always. So if you're a parent, just remember that the next time you go to shout at your child, anger makes children liars. They become fearful and they lie. Again, you're like, how is this even relevant, Kim? Very interesting, but I'm failing to see the relevance. Well, let me explain. Whenever you are older, right, and you go through menopause or you suffer from muscle atrophy, you have to work harder, okay? But most of us don't want to admit that we don't want to do the work, so we blame menopause. So is it harder to get fit after menopause? Yes. Does that mean it's impossible? No. <laughs> but the problem is most of us just don't want to do what it takes, but we don't want to be honest about it either. Now, here's the thing. Many people don't actually realize that it's just harder because they haven't put in the work. Like me, whenever I was growing my glutes and I was, you know, working whenever I was 23 and my glutes grew really, really fast, I didn't realize that part of the reason they grew really fast was because I was so young. I believed it was just because of the work that I had done. So when I did similar work 15 years later but didn't get the result, rather than looking for another reason as to why this could be the case, I just got I just got annoyed and angry and upset. And I blamed my body and I blamed the the training program and I blamed, you know, the the gym and their lack of equipment. And I I, I looked at all of these things outside of myself to blame rather than going, hmm, okay, let's examine is it something that I am doing? Because I am a causing agent in my life. And if something isn't happening the way I want it to happen, it's usually or always because of something I'm doing or not doing. So I'm not saying that menopause isn't a thing. It is. I'm not saying that weight gain isn't something that happens after menopause because it does. I'm not saying that muscle atrophy isn't real, especially after the age of 30, because it is. But what I am saying is that you are not a victim of menopause. You just need to work a little bit harder. I mean, do you think it's easier for a young, fit man to run a marathon? or a hundred-year-old to run a marathon? Because we hear of these like, you know, man of 102 runs New York City Marathon. And you're like, holy Lord, 102. You're like, I can't even run a marathon. This guy's 102 did it. Well, obviously it's going to be easier for the younger, like 20-year-old guy to train for a marathon and run a marathon, right? But does that mean that the 101-year-old guy can't do it? No, he just needs to find a way to make it possible for himself to do it. And is it going to be harder for him and much more of an effort? Yes, of course it's going to be more of an effort for him. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible. So what we have to do a lot of times, especially women here in perimenopause or menopause or postmenopause, is to be really, really honest with ourselves. We have to be really honest with ourselves about what we can achieve given our lifestyle, our level of motivation, and our goals. I mean, having a sculpted body is great, right? It's amazing. I have a sculpted body. It really is wonderful. But it's not the be-all and end-all, okay? And like, consider actually that years ago, and I did this in a previous podcast when I talked about cellulite, years and years and years ago, being overweight was seen as a sign of prosperity. So if you had fat around your middle and fat around your thighs and your butt and whatever, you, it was actually seen as a sign of, of, of wealth and prosperity. So women tried to be overweight. They didn't want to be skinny because they wanted to be seen as you know wealthy and prosperous. It was only, I think, in the 1960s that being thin became attractive because that's when women, you know, after they got the vote in the 20s, and that's whenever, you know, a revolution began and women began to... Um, want to be thin because they, you know, being lean and very, very skinny became 
um, seen as a sign of hard work and determination. And women wanted to be taken seriously in the world. They didn't want to be lying around like in Downton Abbey, you know, like like the rich ones in Downton Abbey anyway. I'm watching Downton Abbey at the minute. I've never watched it before and we're, we're halfway through the second series. It's great. But, you know, they didn't want to be seen as just lying around and doing nothing. They wanted to be seen as hard workers, grafters, taken seriously in the world, deserving of the vote and all those good things. So that is when being lean became a symbol of hard work and determination. So if being fit, right, and lean is a symbol of hard work, what does that mean? Have you ever thought about that? What does that mean psychologically? What do we make that mean? Well, does it mean if we are failing, if we're not fit? Like, but think about it, right? Many of us have that inbuilt into us. Being thin, being lean, being muscular is seen as a symbol of hard work. It's seen as something attractive. It means something about you if you are that way, based on societal norms and beliefs, not based on any reality or any data, just based on societal norms and, you know, and, and what we've been brought up to believe, okay? But it's not the only measure of hard work. There are many, many, many other measures of hard work. There was a, a, a woman who came in here actually today to clean our office. I've never met her before. We've just hired a company to come clean the office. And she and I were laughing and she was like, I'm looking for the sculpted vegan. And I was like, do I not look like the sculpted vegan? And she was laughing. She was like, oh, you're so funny. And we were having a chat and she was saying, oh, I'm, I wish I could shift a few pounds. And, and, uh, you know, and, and I said to her, oh, you know, I think, think we all do whatever. And she was complaining about her weight and she was carrying a little bit of extra weight, but I looked at her and I thought, damn, that woman's a hard worker. You know, she's going around and cleaning offices. She's cleaning all different types of, you know, buildings and whatever. She's up and downstairs. She's doing very physical work during the day. So <clears throat> is she really lean and muscular? No. Does that mean that she's not a hard worker? No, it really doesn't. But we seem to have this inverted warped belief somehow that if we're not really lean and fit, then we're not hard workers. Okay. And none of us want to be seen as somebody who does not work hard. So what do we do without even thinking about it? This is not conscious behavior, by the way. I'm talking about the unconscious behavior. What do we do? We lie. We lie about it, right? And we blame other things for our situation, such as menopause. So to bring it back to the story I was telling about when I lied when I was pregnant, we have a version or a vision of ourselves of how we want to be. I wanted to be the kind of person who was, you know, a, a go-getter, an entrepreneur, a strong female, all of these things, right? I had this vision of myself and I had portrayed this vision of myself to my friend Janet, right? And I'd said to her, I am this kind of person. And I, I, I and I, I hadn't even said to her, I'm this kind of person, but I had led her to believe that I was this kind of person because inside of me, I did have a lot of those qualities, but I wanted the world to see that I was this kind of person. This was the version of Kim that I was presenting to the world. What I wasn't honest about was I also had another version of Kim, another version of Kim that wanted to be a mother and wanted to not be an entrepreneur and, you know, and, and a ball breaker and all of those things, but actually that wanted to be at home, you know, raising a family and, you know, taking care of my husband and cooking food and meeting friends for coffee and, and actually, which was the complete diametric opposite of what it was that I had portrayed to Janet. But not only could Janet not see that part of me because I had never, ever presented it to her, she couldn't even imagine that it existed. And I wasn't willing to admit that it existed because in some, some I was going to say small part of me, but actually huge part inside of me, believed that it was bad. I believed that it was bad to be that way. I didn't want to admit that actually one of my my deepest, you know, um, dreams, or not my deepest dreams, but, you know, my one of my goals in life or one of the things that truly would have made me feel so good would have been to be taken care of. But I didn't want to admit that I wanted to be taken care of by a man. I didn't want to admit that I wanted to give up work and have a man take care of me financially and and, and all that. I didn't, I didn't want to admit that to the world. I didn't want to admit that to myself. So I hid that part of myself. I hid it from everyone around me, but worst of, worst of all, I hid it from myself. 
And so therefore I couldn't bring it out into the world and I couldn't admit to Janet that actually now that I was pregnant, my focus had changed. I wanted her to still believe in the version of me that she had, you know, that, that had partnered with her in this company. And so I, I lied to protect that version of me. Now, eventually what happened was um, one of the head trainers in the company uh, came over the next time we were, you know, we were actually uh, running one of our programs and I was talking to her. I felt very safe with her. She had a lovely, very sweet, she was a very, very sweet and wonderful person. And, um, and I was talking to her about it and she said to me, she said, so you lie, you lie to her. And I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I can't just admit that I'm this and I'm whatever. And she said, so you lie to Janet. And I was like, no. And she was like, yeah, understand. She said, you're actually lying to her and it means that you're a fraud. And I was like, oh, a fraud? Like, I'll never, never forget that word. I was like, I'm a fraud. But it's true. Like, I was. And it was a real defining moment for me because I realized what it was that I had been doing. And I realized that I had been hiding this part of myself that I hadn't accepted. And it was time to bring it out into the world. Now, what does this have to do with menopause? Here's the thing that happens with menopause, right? Many women start to go through menopause or they're, they're perimenopausal, which is when you start to go through menopause, or they're menopausal, they have actually gone through menopause, and they start to blame menopause for why they are overweight or have, you know, a bit of a belly or back fat or bingo wings or whatever it is that they're unhappy with, rather than say, I just don't want to do what it takes to get rid of this. They say, oh, I just can't shift this after menopause. But what they really mean is, I don't diet well enough. I drink far too much wine. I eat far too many you know, pastries or too far too much bad food or fatty food. And I don't exercise enough. How many women have you ever spoken to that have said, you know, that, that, are, that are radically honest, right? That say to you, yeah, you know, I'm not happy with the way I am, but the reason I am the way I am is because I drink too much wine and I always, you know, say I'm going to go to the gym and then I don't. And I, you know, I, I know I should do cardio, but I don't do any. And I, you know, I eat far too many croissants for breakfast and far too many lattes, right? How many women do you, do you know ever say that? No, no, no. Women don't say that. Women say, oh, you know, I just, I just can't seem to shift the weight and it's just, it's menopause and I, I just don't know what else to do. And, you know, they, they don't want to take responsibility for their actions. And it's not because they're bad people. It's because somehow they, like me, they have made it mean that if they are the kind of person who says, I'm just not motivated enough, that it means something bad about them. But it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything bad about you. In fact, to be honest with yourself and with other people is actually one of the highest forms of being noble. It's the highest form of being at cause. You know, I, I remember seeing this funny meme on Instagram once and it said, I'm sorry I'm late, but I didn't want to come. And I laughed because it's so true. Like how many times have you thought, oh, I can't be arsed to go to this bloody thing tonight or I can be bothered to do this or whatever. Like sometimes we're late because genuinely something happens and we get stuck in traffic or whatever. But you know, quite often when you're late, it's a choice, right? You choose to procrastinate. You choose to not, you know, I, I do all this all, do this all the time in the morning when I'm going to the gym. Like I'm lying in bed working on my computer and it's 9.15 and I have to leave for the gym at 9.30. And I know realistically in 15 minutes, I'm not going to get up, get showered, get dressed, make a coffee, make a protein shake, make my BCAA water, you know, say hi to the kids and get in the car, in the car in 15 minutes. I know that I'm not, right? So I don't leave the house till maybe, you know, 9.45. And then I'm like five, 10 minutes late for the gym. And I walk in and I say to Mark, oh, I'm really sorry. I had such a busy morning. You know, I, do, I don't actually usually say it's such a busy morning. I usually walk in and I say, sorry, I'm late. And that's it. I don't even, I don't give an excuse or I say, sorry, I'm late. I just didn't get out of bed on time. I, and it feels so liberating to be honest, but we don't want to be honest. We want to blame menopause or we want to blame pregnancy or we want to blame, you know, having, like, how many women have you heard of blamed kids? Oh, you know, after the kids, I just couldn't shift the weight. No, after the kids, I lost the motivation to shift the weight. That's okay. Being thin and muscular is not a symbol of anything. It just shows that you made a decision to show up for yourself and be consistent and get a result. But you know what? 
Maybe you're working in palliative care. Maybe you are a nurse working, you know, five night shifts a week. Maybe you have seven children and a full-time job and going to the gym and being fit is just not a priority. It doesn't mean anything about you if you have all of those things and you still make it a priority. It just means that you have a little more energy or a little more get up and go or a little more something, a little more support, maybe external support than the person who doesn't have that. It doesn't make you a bad person, but we we have this bad programming left over from childhood when we, when we were punished for not living up to our parents or our teachers' expectations, and we lose touch with ourselves. We lose touch of who we really are, and we're taught to be dishonest about who we really are because we're taught that who we really are just isn't good enough or just isn't acceptable. It's part of the reason why I don't send my kids to school. I don't want my kids to ever believe that that tick or X or that mark, that percentage on a, on a paper, on a graded paper, means something about them. I never, ever want them to hang their self-esteem on an exam or on a teacher's opinion of them. And I certainly don't punish my kids or ever make them feel bad about their choices or who they are. And if I have ever done that, I've caught it very quickly and I have apologized to them. So I'm always striving to allow my kids to discover who they are without any expectation, without any blame, and without ever placing you know, a need my need for them to be a different way onto them because I have seen firsthand the effects of this on all of the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of women that I coach all over the world year in, year out. We just have this enormous ability to not be honest. Now, to bring it back to menopause, does menopause actually, you know, increase your body's chance of holding on to weight? You know, yes, it does. It can also cause like, you know, insulin resistance. It can cause sleepless nights, hot flushes. You know, all of these different things are a symptom of menopause. Does this mean that you can't still achieve great things in your life? No. It may mean that it'll, it's harder. It may mean that you're not as motivated. It may mean that you really just can't find the energy to get up in the morning or to get out or to do this or whatever. That's totally okay. But the, the, the minute you start to be honest about that, is the minute you start to transform. If you, on a scale of one to 10, are a three, but you pretend to the world that you're a 10, you are never, ever going to be able to reach a 10 because you aren't being honest about where you start. Only when you recognize you're a three can you put steps in place to get to a 10. But if you pretend that you're a 10, you have to run around trying to hold all that together and you'll never actually get there because you're living a lie. Don't live a lie. Just be honest and don't be afraid to be honest. Just say, it's not important enough to me or I'm not willing to do what it takes or I just don't want to work that hard and get okay with saying those things. And if you're not okay with saying those things, then you really need to look at why you believe that you have to be a certain way in order to be okay. Why do you have to be a hard worker to be accepted in society? Why do you have to be, you know, perfect in every way in order to be accepted by your best friend or your husband or your parents or, or whatever? Why is it not okay to just be you? You have to consider that for yourself. Why is it okay to not just be you? Only when you are truly honest with yourself about who you are, where you are, and your place in the world, can you actually work to better yourself. But it does take a massive amount of personal honesty. One of the books that I would recommend would be um, one I read years ago that was life-changing for me, and it was called Radical Honesty by a guy called Brad Blanton. I listened to it on Audible, and he's a terrible narrator, but you have to get over that. When you get over, to, get over that, you can listen to him. Radical Honesty by Brad Blanton. It will change your life if you let it. He teaches you how to be radically honest both with yourself and with others. It is one of the most transformative books that you can read. And it will, if you want to be successful in any area of your life, whether it be business or bodybuilding or as a parent or a wife or any anything that's important to you, being radically honest is the first step to achieving change. Menopause is not going to keep you fat and unfit and stuck forever. It's going to make things harder. Yes, you're going to have more obstacles to climb than the average 20-year-old. But you know what? you're good for it. You're a warrior. You're strong. You've maybe birthed and looked after several children and held down a job at the same time. You've been through some shit in your life. Maybe you care for others. Maybe you care for a disabled child. Maybe you care for an elderly parent. 
maybe you do both of those things or all of those things as well as keeping down a full-time job and, and looking after five kids at home, right? Maybe you only have one child. That's a difficulty in itself, right? Parenting one child and being, you know, them not having any siblings and having to be that like worrying, you know, is it, are you enough? Is it enough for them that they don't have siblings and the guilt that comes with it? We all have our crosses to bear, okay? We all have our crosses to bear. But what I know is that you are strong and that you can come from a position of honesty if only you will let yourself. When you start from a place of honesty, your whole life changes. Your whole life changes. And a great, just to, to actually leave you with this one, I remember reading a sales book years ago with by a guy called Tom Hopkins, really amazing guy. And he said, he was talking about sales and he was saying, never lie, never lie whenever you're a salesperson. And he said, whenever he said, you tell the truth, you never need to remember a thing. And that always stuck with me. I was like, oh, because whenever I was younger, like I, I, I grew up with very controlling parents and I learned to lie a lot whenever I was younger. I never lie now. Never, ever, ever lie. But I did lie a lot when I was younger. And so, you know, and I would have twisted words and covered up the truth and covered up who I was a lot. I was I carried a lot of shame about who I was because I was always told I was too loud and I spoke too loud and I, and I, you know, was overbearing and I was too much. I was always told I was too much. I was too much of everything when I was younger. And so I learned to, to lie a lot about who I was, um, because I believed who I was wasn't okay. And anyway, I always remember that from Tom. And he said, whenever you, if you never lie, you never have to remember a thing. And I love that because it's really hard to be honest, but it's also completely and utterly transformative for your life. So there you have it. I bet you never, ever thought that a podcast about menopause would actually turn into a lesson on honesty. In fact, I had written all the notes for this, um, but quite often whenever I am teaching these podcasts or whenever I am, you know, going through my stories and, and talking about the different points I want to talk about, it's very transformative for me too. I don't always know where the podcast is going to go, but I just speak very, very much from my heart. I, I, I just say whatever comes into my mind and I just allow it to flow without any judgment or, you know, really thinking about what I'm saying, but just trying to give you I guess, you know, some of the the experience that I've had, some of the studying that I've done, some of the knowledge that I've built over the years. And I, I really hope that um, that it helps you to, to figure stuff out in your own life and also just to, you know, have a little bit more of whatever it is that pleases you because really that's all important. That, that's what's important. And that's what my hope is for this podcast, that you will just find more joy in your life. You will have more of what pleases you and you will have fun while you're getting it or while you're doing it. So don't forget to leave a review. If you want to win one of the Sculpted Vegan programs, you take a screenshot of it, send it to me on Instagram. We will choose July's winner in August. We will announce it on Instagram and on the podcast. And wherever you are, whatever you are doing, have an absolutely wonderful rest of the week. Thank you so much for listening. This is Kim Constable, and I will see you next time on the Strong and Sculpted podcast. Lots of love. Bye.